Hi, I'm Simon Hill, and you're watching Purebred Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. Are you after the latest and greatest football kits, boots, goalkeeper gear, team wear, accessories, or equipment? Look no further than South Australia's very own soccer specialty store, Soccer Locker. An Australian-owned and operated business, the store is located at Shop 5 of 181 to 183 Grange Road, Findon. Founded in 2012, Soccer Locker was introduced into the market to fulfil all the soccer-related needs of Australians, providing a huge range of quality clothing and equipment, ranging from soccer balls, team kits, goalkeeper gear, accessories and much more. As well as stocking all current football merch from your favourite overseas teams, recently arrived stock also includes stunning retro kits from some of our favourite past eras as fans of the world game. So get shopping now at our Finden store, open from Monday to Friday and open Saturdays from 9am to 3pm. Or visit us online and take advantage of free shipping from across Australia at soccerlocker.com.au. G'day guys and welcome to the Purebred Reds, Adelaide United Fan TV. I'm your host, Ellis Gellios. We're coming to you with a preview of our Saturday blockbuster against Western Sydney. It's an away game and I'm joined by a man that played 58 games for Adelaide United from 2008 to 2012 and is an Asian Champions League winner with Western Sydney Wanderers. I speak of, of course, Daniel Mullen. Daniel, uh, You've just recently been engaged. You're at a club that's won three NPL titles in a row. You are winning in life at the moment, my friend. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a, a weird, weird year last year, that's for sure, um, with, with everything that went on with COVID. But um, yeah, to say I'm, I'm, I'm happy at the moment is, would be an understatement. So yeah, like you said, engaged, um, just started a new job here as a teacher at St. Peter's College um, and yeah, doing, doing really well with, uh, with Campbelltown as well. So can't complain. You sure are. And uh, you're looking very sprightly in your St. Peter's uh, apparel there. And we'll get into a little bit about that later on. Uh, but before we do so, we're just going to preview our game against Western Sydney, obviously a game between two of your former clubs during your A-League days, Daniel. Uh, so it's a 4.35 kickoff this Saturday, guys, at Bankwest Stadium. If you aren't travelling, make sure you tune in to Fox Sports or the Carrier Sports app. As always, no squads at the time of filming. Uh, so let's get straight into it. Uh, Daniel Mullen, a three to win against the Mariners on Friday night for Adelaide United. Many will say it was a fortunate one, obviously with the intervention of VAR. Uh, did you watch the game and what were your thoughts on the performance overall? I did watch the game. Um, I actually watched it with, uh, with Craig Goodwin, who I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit later. Um, a bit of a family connection there now. Uh, we watched it um, together. It was, uh, again, it was a very odd game. Um, First of all, I think uh, the quicker we get rid of VAR, I think the better. Um, I've experienced it as a player um, playing and uh, couldn't stand it as a player. Um, and then as a fan now watching the game, um, I equally uh, dislike it. I think um, I heard a podcast, the Peter Crouch podcast, I heard them talking about the VAR um, and they made an, an excellent point, which I hadn't actually thought of before, but the the biggest um the biggest uh reason why people love football is um the emotion of scoring a goal so you know you score a goal as a fan nothing is bigger or better than that and the, what the var does is it takes away the emotion of scoring a goal so fans will be 
um, at times reluctant to celebrate because they don't know if it's, it actually is a goal or not. Um, and at the same time, players as well uh, are reluctant to celebrate because they're not sure if it will actually stand as a goal. Now, it might seem like a small thing, but for me, that's, that's the biggest part of football. You know, the emotion of scoring goals, you're, you're taking that away, um, let alone don't even, don't even worry about the rest of the, uh, the problems in terms of, um, you know, subjectivity and all that. But yeah, just the emotion um, that the VAR uh, takes away, I think is, is one thing that um, needs, to, needs to change. I think they need to get rid of it as soon as possible. Um, and, you know, you asked me what the game was like. To be honest, that was the only thing that I could um, that that I was thinking about after the game was the decisions, um, how the referees handled those decisions, um, how the VAR handled those decisions, um, which we shouldn't be talking about. We should actually be talking about the game. Um, it, it wasn't a it wasn't a bad game by Adelaide. I thought Central Coast are actually playing really well at the moment, um, and I think I think Adelaide is in a position at the moment where. They're not playing bad football, but they're not creating too many chances. Um, I think that was pretty evident uh, with the game last week. I don't think you're going to have many fans disagreeing with you about either of the major points you've just made there. Uh, what is interesting is that it's not the only time we've seen a blockbuster happen at Cooper Stadium between Adelaide United and Central Coast Mariners. You were involved in one all the way back in 2008, a thrill draw. We actually went 3-0 up. Uh, during that game as well. Uh, it was, funnily enough, the week before your breakout game against Bunyod Kaur in the Asian Champions League semi-final, which no one will ever forget, obviously, the occasion where you marked Rivaldo and uh, you've spoken on this show, actually, about uh, all, all the emotions you had leading into that game, which, were, which was a fantastic insight. Um, so tell us your recollections. I don't think you're involved in the actual game. You're on the bench, a new sub. But um, crazy times, nevertheless, and again, the Mariners uh, all the way back then. Yeah, I think um, I think back then, before I even made my debut for for Adelaide United, um, you know, sitting on the bench, training with the team, it was probably the most nervous I was um, because there was that unknown, you know, um, not knowing if I was good not good enough, not knowing uh, how I would react to playing in front of um, Highmarsh Stadium, you know, full crowd which you get the sense of the occasion when you're on the bench, how big it is and, and how loud the, the fans are. Um, so there's just that unknown of, well, you know, am I going to freeze out there? Am I going to um, succumb to the pressure? Uh, so a lot of excitement, a lot of anticipation. Um, and uh, yeah, obviously didn't get on in that game, but uh, I can remember most games that I was even sitting on the bench for. Um, back then, Central Coast Mariners were the team that everyone hated to play against. Um, I remember they were always very physical. Uh, they could uh, match you in a in a 1v1 duel um, all over the park. Um, so you knew that you were coming up against a tough a tough team. Um, they also played a 4-4-2 system. Um, so as a defender, as a centre-back especially, um, it was a nightmare to play against. Uh, I still don't like playing against a 4-4-2 because Basically, you get no time to relax on the ball. Um, you're always under pressure. And the two strikers um, at the time, I remember there was obviously Matty Simon, um, who's funny yeah. enough, still there now. Um, and then they always had, you know, big, strong strikers that just worked hard. I think it um, might have been Sasha Petrovsky even. Yeah, I think, yeah, Sasha Sash was a, he was a tough, tough player to um, play against. 
And I think, you know, if you look at the, the teams now, a lot of those big, strong, physical um, players, they don't tend to exist as much anymore. We look now, um, there's a lot more youth uh, in, in the teams. There's a lot more pace. Um, but, but physically, I think we are nowhere near as big and as strong as we used to be. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, um, I'm not too sure. Uh, but it certainly was different back then. And that Central Coast team were, were very good for a number of years. Yeah, definitely. So moving on, uh, obviously, you're a defender yourself, uh, had a fantastic A-League career as a defender. Um, concerningly, we've shipped 11 goals in our last four games, which really is quite appalling. Uh, we've only really changed one player from that back four since last season too. So there's really no excuses there, to be honest with you, Daniel. And uh, you were a part once upon a time of the most rock-solid defence this club's ever had back in 2008. In that season, we conceded just 19 goals in 21 games, which is absolutely amazing. And, and I've got to ask you, what on earth has gone so badly wrong and how do we fix it? Mm, good question. Um, I, you're right. I was, um, I was very fortunate to be uh, surrounded when I was young um, with some of the best defenders in Australia. Um, Mickey Valkanis, uh, he took me under his wing. Uh, when I was when I was first starting, uh, when I was on the bench for Adelaide United, Mickey Valkanis was starting to, he was the club captain, but then he was starting to uh, get dropped here and there. Um, and what he would do is we'd always be on the second team together and he would uh, coach me. Um, a lot of the time the, uh, the second team would actually um, play with less numbers than the first team. Um, and I used to always think, oh, this is rubbish. You know, they're always scoring goals. And I remember him always, um, he would come up to me and he would, he would grab me and he would say, hey, this training that we're going to um, be a part of right now, this is uh, invaluable um, because now we're learning how to defend against, uh, against being outnumbered. Um, so he used to walk me through, you know, positioning, um, you know, making sure that the, the spaces between the defenders are always small. Um, and likewise, the lines, the midfielders as well. Um, and he taught me a lot. Then obviously you had people like Ange Costanzo as well. You had Sasha Ogonowski. You had uh, Robbie Cornthwaite. Um, just some, you know, unbelievable defenders. Uh, and we worked really hard at training. Um, week in, week out on our positioning and making sure that the, the basics were, were done well. And we all knew where to be. Um, when we didn't have the ball. Uh, and obviously when we had the ball as well with that rest defense. Um, so at the moment, it seems to be, I mean, we had a lot of leaders, uh, a lot of experienced older leaders who really didn't care if, um, if people hated them in the team. Um, not that they did. We had a, a great team of camaraderie. Um, but you know, a lot of leaders uh, directly. And I think at the moment, Jakobsen out as well. I think uh, that leadership uh, might be a factor in why they're conceding so many goals. And uh, how best do we fix it? Is it a case of like Jakobsen coming back and, and just restoring, you know, the uh, familiarity everyone has with one another? Or, or does Carl really need to consider maybe, uh, you know, Yared Abadou playing at centre-back? Obviously, we've seen him on a few occasions at right-back um, for the senior team, but he is naturally a centre-back. Uh, there's a few other options there as well. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I think, um, firstly, you know, whenever we used to concede a lot of goals um, in in matches, uh, I remember Robbie Conthwaite blowing up once in a, in a video analysis um, and, uh, you know, we just conceded a number of goals in a game against Melbourne Victory. And, 
we were getting we were getting smashed by the coach um, by Vidi saying you know it's not good enough and and then uh, I remember Corny blew up and he said well hang on a minute he goes yeah we're the defenders but have a look how these goals are actually starting and and it wasn't always the defenders you know that were um, at fault for these goals so it really is a team um, it's a, it's a collective you know I, I think to change one or two defenders at times can be an easy fix um, that. You know that fans or supporters might look and say, "Well, you know that's they were closest to the ball. It must have been their fault." But there's so many times in a game where you know the midfielders uh, might be too far away or, or out of position, which is you know exposing the defence or or the strikers are pressing um, individually. Uh, I'm not saying that's the case, um, but there's a lot more to it than just um, you know one or two players uh, in a system. So uh, to fix it up. Look, Carl's a great coach. Um, I know Carl well, so I'm, I'm sure he's on the training track working really hard with the, with the team um, and, and trying to figure out how they can best uh, work together so that, you know, these holes aren't appearing in, in games. And, and then obviously, you know, the, the, the individual mistakes as well. Um, you know, I've always been told that the most important part of the pitch is, is both, both boxes. So you have to be clinical in both boxes um, defenders, you know, can't make mistakes in, in their box and obviously the strikers need to score in their box and that's where games are, are won and lost. Um, so I think a bit of a mix of those two things. Interesting to see how it all goes against the Wanderers. We've uh, shipped a fair few there in recent seasons, so uh, I'm not the most confident going into it. I've got to say, uh, we're going to switch our focus to the future now. Daniel Craig Goodwin, uh, I'm sure a name you're quite familiar with. Uh after the spirit shown by the team to overcome the Mariners last Friday night, uh, plus the added prospect of a star winger rejoining the squad, uh, do Adelaide fans suddenly have a bit to be optimistic about going forward? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, I think Craig is, is you know, one of the best uh, attacking players we've, um, we've produced here at Adelaide United. Um, I think uh, when he played last, so, you know, two seasons ago, um, the amount of goals that he was creating uh, and scoring um, was was pretty was pretty significant. Um, I think what else it will do is it will give someone like Tommy Urich a bit more confidence um, as well. I think having someone to uh, to release the pressure off of you in that top third, um, you can see at the moment, you know, Tommy is is trying his his heart out. You can see it, you know, the effort he's giving and um, he, he's trying almost too much I know it's easy to say but um, you know he's got one or two players always constantly thinking well you know he's our biggest threat we've got to make sure that he doesn't score now you bring Craig into the team um, all of a sudden the the focus has now you know been turned away from Tommy and all of a sudden Tommy's finding a little bit more space a little bit more time a little bit more freedom um, which will give him a bit more confidence so it's a double effect obviously obviously you're going to get the quality with Craig uh, in the team um, but at the same time, you're going to free up, you know, your Ben Hallorans, your, your Tommies, and then your, your young players as well that are coming on that are so dangerous with their pace. Yeah, very interesting to see how that's all going to sort of pan out because uh, a lot of fans have been observing that Tommy Urich has been quite isolated up there um, so far in his second tenure at the club. Um, now, I want to ask you about this new number 10 that's supposedly on their way to the club. We don't know a lot yet. No names have been mentioned so far in the mainstream media or in any of the traditional rumour mills that go around. Um, assuming we do land a number 10, Daniel, how should this midfield 
will take care of itself because we've seen Carl switch formations um, since the start of the season, trying the 4-4-2 now, and it seems like that's the way forward. Uh, but obviously a, a new number 10 coming in is going to create more options for Carl. Um, does he go back to the uh, midfield triangle and uh, how should it all work? Yeah, and it, it, it completely um, is up to the type of player that um, that Carl signs. So this number 10, you know, if he's a number 10, but he's a he's a box-to-box number 10, um, then, you know, you can play a, a flat midfield and you can have that 4-4-2. But if it's someone like a Marcos Flores who comes in and he's, you know, creative and he's, he's probably not going to work as hard as a, um, as a, um, uh, Mark Milligan, for example, yep. um, then for sure you, you're going to have to change the system to adapt. Um, and, and then you're probably looking at a four, three, three, um, with two holders, uh, two sixes. And, you know, you've got the players there that can, that can play those positions as well. Um, it really does depend on the player. I mean, you you choose your formation based on the players that you have available. That's that's all, what I've always found um, has worked for the the best managers. Um, you don't you don't change the players to try and fit your system. Um, so, yeah, uh, until we find out who who the number ten is, um, it's it's too hard to comment really on uh, on what what type of system they can play. So let's assume uh, it's a playmaker coming in. Uh, if it was up to you, you've still got Stefan Mork, obviously. Should he be playing with two sixes anchoring or one eight and a ten and a six? How, how should that work? I think Morky offers too much to um, to be an anchoring six. Um, I think if that was the case, you'd, you'd be able to have this this new player as, a, as an out-and-out out number 10. Um, and then you'd play with a, an anchoring six. It might be a, you know, a Coletti, someone who's just going to control the midfielder. It might be the new Spanish um, player who played as a right back, uh, mm -hmm. Lopez. Um, so someone who's just going to sit in front of the back four. And, you know, we've talked about how Adelaide are leaking goals at the moment. Um, such a pivotal, pivotal position is that number six, who is not going to go wandering um, and trying to get in the box and score goals and going out to the right uh, and left side of the field. Um, that number six just needs to control the game. Uh, Isaias was, I mean, you know, the perfect number six because he just sat in between the centre-backs. He protected the centre-backs um, and and let the other midfielders do their bit. So, you know, if that was the case, you could then have Morky playing as more of an eight. So, uh, you know, not a 10, but, you know, getting forward, uh, releasing with his press, but then getting back and supporting the six as well um, when, when needed. And letting the ten just uh, you know be creative and and trying to get into those little pockets between the midfield and the strikers, uh, and the defense, Sorry, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more with you. Um, let's discuss the Wanderers. Uh, our opposition, obviously, on Saturday, a club you played fifteen games for, and uh, as we mentioned from the top, an Asian Champions League winner, which is extraordinary. There's not a whole lot of them going around in our backyard in SA at all. Um, they're starting to look as though they're getting some identity back about them uh, under the new manager there, Carl Robinson. Uh, would you agree that they're heading in a positive direction after years and years of underperforming? Yeah, I think since Popper left, um, they've uh, they've been trying to to find themselves. Uh, I think um, Popper took him took the club into a in, to, into a direction um, that was where he wanted the club to go, um, and as a result, they became one of the most successful clubs. Um, in Australian history. Obviously, you've mentioned the, the Champions League and I don't think that should ever be forgotten because um, to be able to do that, I mean, we almost did it with Adelaide United where we made the final. Um, 
but yeah, a great achievement. Um, and the club was just so successful on the pitch, but even off the pitch, you know, I remember rocking up to games and, you know, the RBB would be um, in full force and singing and, and marching down Church Street uh, to the game. And the stadium was just electric. It was one of the biggest atmospheres in, in Australian sport, not just, not just football, but in Australian sport. Um, and I think they've lost that a little bit. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think Carl Robinson, from what I've heard from his interviews, um, he's trying to create a culture there um, that is, uh, it is about the, the person first. So he's trying to bring in people that fit the vision of the club, of his, of his culture. Um, and obviously they, they need to be decent players, but um, first and foremost, I think he's trying to mold individuals um, into the type of people that he, he wants at the club. Um, and you can see on the pitch, they're, they're looking happier. They're looking, uh, they're looking a lot more free um, and, they, uh, and they certainly respect him. You can see that as well. So I think it will be a tough game this week for Adelaide. Not many players still there from back when you were at the Wanderers uh, several years ago. Do you still keep in contact with some of those Asian Champions League alumni that you had in that time? And have they sort of commented on, you know, what they think the issues have been at the Wanderers and whether it's all looking like it's, uh, you know, going back in a direction that Popper sort of had it in that they were sort of culturally serial winners? Um, yeah. What's, um, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, to be honest, uh, I don't speak to the boys as much as I should. Um, you know, I had some great mates in that team. Um, one of my better mates who I actually lived with over there was Gogo Mabratu, who has just signed back at, um, at Brisbane Raw. Yep. Um, so I'm really excited to see how he, how he goes this season because uh, what a talent he was. He was one of the best attacking players I'd seen at training ever. Um, he's he was amazing, skillful, fast, um, but just unfortunate with injuries. Uh, went over to Europe and haven't seen him since. So I'd, I'd love to see how he goes um, this season. But um, yeah, the problem with with uh, with the players that left Western Sydney is Popper tended to um, bring in a lot of players um, and work them to their limits, and then almost every year turn over you know a good. 10 to 12 to 13 of them, those players. Um, so a lot of the players that left um, don't really want to speak about their time at the Wanderers anymore. Um, I, I found uh, my time there was amazing. I, I loved it. Um, but, you know, same thing for me. I, I left um, with a pretty sour taste in my mouth as well um, because I, I still had another year and a half left on my contract. Um, so the club was amazing, brilliant club, but um, probably don't speak to the to the, the boys that were there enough anyone. Like you said, I don't think there's anyone there that was there, um, that's there now that was there when I was there, except for maybe a few of the coaching staff. Mm -hmm. uh, Labi Haliti, I know, is still there. Um, Dean Heffernan, uh, Megzi, Michael Beauchamp um, are all there as, as coaches. Um, but in terms of players, I think everyone's moved on. Interesting stuff you have uh, pointed out there, particularly with uh, the news that we just had this week in Greece concerning Popper in the second division with uh, Xanthi FC. Um, looks like there's not going to be any Asian Champions League reunions on the card at the Wanderers, which is uh, obviously very unfortunate. Uh, but we'll move on nevertheless, Daniel. Uh, so 
Let's talk about Joe, um, a man that uh, does not need any introduction, really, uh, known by everyone in South Australia and always will be a, uh, a product that uh, we can really sing our praises over as, as a state. Um, he left Campbelltown after the 2019 NPL Championship win. He's now back at Adelaide United as the assistant of the W League team. Uh, the W League side, as many people will know, have never qualified for the finals since their inception back in 2008. Joe Mullen comes on board and suddenly they're on track to make the finals for the first ever time and we don't want to jinx them there. Uh, what can't this man do? <laughs> no, I think you've been very nice. I think... Um... I think firstly, Adrian Stenter, um, the, the head coach has done a, a fabulous job. Um, to think that, I know he's a full-time um, teacher as well, uh, to be able to do that and then obviously um, commit to, you know, the, the trainings and the, and the games that he does with the, with the W League squad, I think, um, you know, hats off to him. It uh, shows the determination, the passion that he has for football. Um, and I know that uh, Dad's, Dad's really enjoyed it this season. I think it was something that he... He wanted to do because it's something he's never done before, um, and I think that they've just uh, they've they've done well this season. I, I've been to to most or I've watched most of their games. I've been to a few of their games as well, um, and they're a good team to watch. They've got some from what you know. Dad's told me the the actual um, the girls in the team there. They just want to learn um, and they want to improve and they want to be there. They want to be better. Um, and he said it's you know it's a joy to work in that environment. So um, I think you've been very nice saying that uh, you know he's he's played a huge part. But um, certainly I think he does he does raise standards. Um, you know I I noticed that even with myself when I came back to Campbelltown, my my standards increased from um, you know years in the A League. So it's not um, it's not to say that you know just because you you come back to NPL level for example that. Um, you're going to, you know, it's a walk in the park. Um, for me, I actually found it, you know, I was working harder. I had a, more accountability on my shoulders um, working under him uh, as a coach, which is, which was really refreshing, to be honest. Um, refreshing to see that, you know, there's other coaches out there that aren't in the A-League that are actually, you know, at a very high level. And we've seen that this season with, uh, with all the young coaches that have stepped up into the A-League, like Brisbane's... Um, uh warren moon is it warren? Yep. yeah, yeah warren moon. Um, yep. I think he's done a fabulous job so there's a lot of a lot of young coaches out there that um that have the the potential and the ability uh so is it more of a mentoring role that he has uh in the setup there with the w league yeah i think it's um uh yeah it's a mentoring role um and it's he's also there just to to support um to support adrian so um i know that adrian is you know the one that puts on the sessions and it's uh you know it's his decisions um and then dad's there as as a yeah as a mentor um sort of a you know a wise head to to um to to bounce ideas off of well good luck to everyone there in the w league setup including your old man the great joe mullen uh let's talk about you at campbelltown daniel uh by far the most successful NPL club uh, going around the grounds these days, three straight NPL championships. Uh, it doesn't look like anyone's going to get anywhere near you guys anytime soon. And I'll know you play, you'll play that with a straight bat and uh, tell us all the usual cliches about uh, how there's always competitors and teams that recruit well. Uh, but we'll get into all of that. First things first, I want to ask you about Ian Fife, uh, obviously another legendary uh, defender from 
his A-League playing days at Adelaide United. You spent two seasons with him as a player at the club. Um, I want to know what your relationship is like with him now that he's the full-time coach at Campbelltown. Uh, hasn't, yeah, hasn't changed at all. Um, so Fifey uh, was, I think, I think he came to the club, uh, what was it, five years ago or so? Um, yeah, 13-ish, yeah. Yeah, so he uh, he's won uh, a lot of trophies there. And when we talk about, um, you know, Carl Robinson trying to create a culture, I think that's what Dad tried to do when he came to Campbelltown. I think he tried to bring in people um, that were first and foremost uh, good people with good morals, good work ethic. Um, and obviously they, well, most of them were also very good players. But he, there was a lot of players as well that he wanted to bring in that um, you could have questioned um, in terms of their ability. You know, why would you bring someone in like that? And it, it was to develop this this culture at the club. Um, and I think Fifey played a big part in that. So he he was one of Dad's you know first signings when he uh, when he retired from from A League or when he came back into the A League. But um, when he decided to uh, to step down from the A League, um, and uh, he's been brilliant for the club. So uh, last year we had uh, Phil Stubbins. Uh, as the coach for the majority of the season. Um, he left, I think it was about nine games to go, uh, there or thereabouts. Um, and then Fifey stepped up with, uh, with Les Pogliacomo. Um, and Corey Artoni as well has actually come on board as one of the assistant coaches who was very successful in the, in the NPL um, with Metro Blue Eagles. Um, so Fifey sort of took on this role without any coaching experience. Um, and it would have been uh, it would have been extremely tough for him last season, um, but he uh, he managed to keep things uh, keep things simple, um, which is which is often one of the most difficult things to do. Um, you know, you always look at uh, coaches or, or people in general, and you think, why didn't they just why didn't they just do the simple thing? You know, the simple thing would have worked, but. Uh, a lot of them will, you know, try and change things or put their own stamp on things. And Fifey kept things very simple, um, and we were able to to regain form um, because we weren't playing well at all. Uh, we regained form, and uh, and then we ended up ended up winning the the championship. So um, for his first season as a coach, uh, couldn't couldn't have got any better. I don't think. Um, probably should have retired after that one from one. Um, but yeah, now he's come on as the as the full time coach. So it was only interim up until you know the end of the season. He's come on now as a full time coach, um, and I I got uh, I, I was contemplating um, finishing playing as well um, at the end of last season. I got offered to be the assistant coach for the Adelaide United youth team, um, which I was uh, extremely close to to taking. There we go. Um, There's a bit of a scoop. Yeah, extremely, really, really close. Uh, and basically the only reason I've decided not to is because no team in the NPL has ever won it for four years in a row. So I thought, why not give it uh, one more year and, and also um, just getting engaged and need the money. So I'll <laughs> <laughs> play better than Adelaide, which is, um, which is uh, a, a, big, a big part. But no, seriously, it's... Um, it's uh, you know one more year I want to play, but I also want to um, I want to be there as well for you know Fifey and, and sort of um, be that you know the, the player that um, 
sort of you can liaise with the coach as well and you know um if uh if if things aren't you know going so well um i can be that honest voice and say look you know just letting you know um and, and you know vice versa as well so uh i think it's going to be a exciting season for sure um we can't forget that you're still a young man too and i was going to say something about the fact that our defenders seem to be dropping like flies at the moment and uh it'd be very interesting to see what might happen if someone gave you the old tap on the shoulder uh, at some point in the next couple of years but uh don't forget that you're still a young guy and you shouldn't be thinking about hanging up the boots anytime soon mate um i want to talk about I want to talk about the COVID season though in the MPL. It was it was all very weird. Um, not that you guys would have cared given how everything panned out, but uh, you know you've you've been around the place, uh, played at many clubs, obviously at a professional level. Um, this must have been one of the weirdest experiences you've had. I mean, a season being disrupted for as long as it was due to this virus that's obviously going around uh, around the entire globe. Um, Talk to us about what that was like and also the secret to the club's success last season. I know you briefly mentioned, um, you know, getting behind Fife in and everyone sort of realigning their focus. But, uh, you know, during such a weird time, it, you know, it's a testing thing for, for players to really focus and, and come back after probably not playing at their best to, to win the entire thing. Um, so, so how did all that come about behind the scenes? Yeah, so um, I think, uh, you know, when you have, so for seven years, Campbelltown um, have basically had the core of the squad have sort of stayed the same. Um, and I mean, you look at the first, uh, the first win that Campbelltown had eight years ago or whatever it was, um, the, the players that were there, you had these Jake Hallidays, you had, um, you know, Pishkinary, Sean Harvey, um, I think Dion Kirk might have been there at the time. You had all these young boys, you know, 18, 19 years old. Um, Mark Marino, I think, might have even been there. Um, that all uh, have stayed, they've all stayed at the club. Um, and what Dad was able to do was every year just bring in one or two players just to sort of just to reinforce the squad. But um, you know, when you've got young quality players, there's no need to uh, there's no need to say, well, you know, I'm going to bring in someone else that's in your position. Um, because you know you've already got the quality there, and that's something else that a lot of coaches will do. They'll they'll see someone, they'll say, "Great player, I'm just going to bring him in," and all of a sudden, the team's just disrupted. Um, what you had before is is no longer working. Um, players are now unhappy because you've brought someone else in. They might be a great player, but it can upset the dynamics of the of the team. Um, so the squad that we had last year was very very similar to the squad that we had the year before. Um, and again, the year before was very similar to the squad that we had the year before that. So when times got tough um, and then when Fifey came in, uh, basically the hard work had already been done for seven years. Um, you know, the boys knew how to play. So uh, Fifey's message was, you know how to play. Um, we, we've done it for seven years. You've trained four nights, three to four nights a week for seven years. What, we're not going to we're not going to try and fix something that's broken. Let's just go back to the, the basics. Go back to how we played, how we pressed before. Um, and all I'm here to do is just to support you guys. And uh, I thought that was the best the best thing that he could have done. So yes, you look at COVID and you know something that you couldn't plan for. Um, well, we were lucky enough that we already had a, a foundation there that didn't need changing. Um, 
And in terms of how hard it was, yeah, it was tough. It was, the season went for over 12 months. So we started pre-season in, in November and our grand final was midway through December. Um, so it was a over 12 month um, season and it felt like it as well. By the end, um, we were all over football. Trust me, it was a long season. And even now it's, um, you know, coming back for pre-season, it was uh, a lot harder to, to get up and motivated um, to, to go do some some runs at Benitham Park than it, it was in, in previous years. But, um, you know, it's, it's all good now. We're all, we're all back in back and ready now. I understand that fully well, but the general punter probably doesn't understand how much harder it is when you're not in that professional mindset anymore for a season to drag on like that. Very testing for, for people at semi-pro level, especially uh, someone without the kind of experience you've got. So, um, you know, it, it, obviously it changes a lot when it's, it's semi-professional, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, we had everyone um, in the team has a full-time job. So, um, you know, we would be coming from, from work straight to training. And, um, you know, the club were great to us. Um, we, every team in the state got pay deductions. Um, you know, most were about that 50%. So you're playing for 50% of what you agreed on at the start of the year, if that. Um, and the boys just got on with it. You know, it's, it's a testament to the, to, the, to, the, to the players and not just at Campbelltown, I'm talking in general, the whole MPL, the whole state league. Um, some clubs, I know, you know, they got paid nothing at all. Um, some, and, and they just got on with it. They played, you know, and that shows so much, so much um, more than, you know, uh, yeah, we, it could have been very easy for players just to say, well, you know, I've got other things that are important in my life right now. I don't need to be coming here three nights a week still in the pouring rain um, for over 12 months and other clubs, you know, not even making finals and uh, very, very tough season. And to all the players, everyone and coaches um, and clubs as well, because, you know, we can't forget that the clubs sacrificed a huge amount as well. You know, we say that we have to take pay cuts. Well, clubs, they suffered financially as well. So everyone, the whole football community were just, um, were terrific, outstanding for, for the whole of last year. Very well said, Daniel. Uh, I want to talk about how things are going at the moment. So um, obviously preparing to, to go for that four-peat, which uh, is going to be an extraordinary effort if you guys can pull it off. Uh, I've got to ask you, is there pressure or a strong element of pressure on you guys to, to do that? Because I did mention before, you know, I don't really think, and I think this is a general view, um, that there's really not anyone anywhere near the level that you guys have been able to maintain for so long. Uh, so internally, are you guys uh, trying to put pressure on yourselves to, to not think about who you're actually on the park against and just to ensure that you keep those standards in place and that you can pull this off? Because I mean, if you can, I don't see anyone ever matching it possibly in my lifetime. And I know um, that sounds like a massive stretch, but it's very, very hard to win one, let alone four in a row. Yeah, uh, the pressure comes from ourselves. We've, um, and I know this might sound like a cliche as well, but every game that we go into, the pressure is always um, from ourselves to keep our standard. Um, and we know that when I first came to the club, um, we just won uh, the first championship. And uh, I remember the message from, from Dad at the time was, well, everyone's going to be out to get you. Every game will be a grand final. Um, and it, it was like the first 10 games where it was like 10 grand finals in a row. 
uh, didn't matter who we played against. Um, it was it was like a one 0 win or a we lost a lot of games. Well, we didn't get a lot of um, great results in those first ten games because it was just relentless pressure and um, everyone trying to you know prove a point against us. Um, and then we sort of got over that hump after the ten games and and then we we went on and I I don't think we we lost in the second half of the season or if we did it was you know maybe one game or, or two max um, and. Uh, you know, then last year was exactly the same. Um, every single game was a grand final. You know, Mobry Jets, uh, the biggest example for us, or for me, was we played them in round four um, and they destroyed us. They beat us, uh, they beat us 1-0, but they just, they bullied us. Um, we were second to every ball. We, um, we didn't take our chances. They took theirs. Um, they had energy. We had no energy. We were missing passes, they weren't. Um, so if you're watching that game, you would have thought that Mobbury were the team that have just won two championships in a row and, and we, we didn't know what we were doing. Um, now, I watched Mobbury after that a couple of games and it was a completely different team. So the intensity that other teams have been playing at against us in the last couple of years has been um, extremely high um, and it's not gonna change this year. Um, that's for sure. Everyone's gonna be out to get us again. Um, and we welcome that. It's going to be a tough, really tough season, um, I think. Uh, like you said, three is, is extremely hard. I think four will be, um, uh, I think it'll be really, really difficult. Um, but, you know, like you said, I'm going to play with a straight bat. I think, yes, maybe to the outsider, you might think, yep, Campbelltown, um, you know, class above or, or what, however you might have described it. But for us, we, we see every game um, as... Oh, we just just got there. You know, we just won that game. Um, you know, except for the grand finals against Comets the last two years, where I think we've we've really dominated uh, and run away with the games. Um, you know, you look at us and Comets throughout the season, um, and it's they win one, we win one. You know, we uh, we we win one nil. Just they win two one. Well, actually, that's a lie. Whenever they beat us, they beat us by a bit. But um, it's always tough. And it's not as easy as uh, as people think. It's it's going to be another tough season, that's for sure. Yeah, well, the Commons will have a bit to prove outside of uh, SA Athletic Stadium when this season gets underway. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting season as well. Uh, we wish you all the best with that. And just before we go, tell us about, obviously, your uh, ever-changing life. Uh, I do recall you telling us about you making the decision to study teaching uh, all the way back during your first appearance on this show. Uh, now you are working as a teacher at a, at a very good school in St. Peter's. Tell us how it's all going. Yeah, brilliant. Couldn't, um, couldn't have written the script any better. Um, I wanted to transition into, uh, into teaching as soon as I could once I'm um, deciding to stop professional football. I knew I had two years, um, so I wanted to play at an you know, MPL level for two years and, and do my best. So we've, you know, we've won two championships in those two years. Um, we've, uh, I've finished my degree uh, in that time and I was lucky enough to get offered a full-time job here um, straight away. So I finished my degree in November and I've, I've started here in term one. So uh, I'm loving it. I'm, I'm also coaching um, the year eight nines um, here at St. Peter's as well. So um, I'm really enjoying that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's something different. Um, it's longer days. You know, training isn't just uh, the only thing that I do now. It's I'm here 
for a lot longer. Um, and then I'm off to training at Campbelltown as well. Um, and then we have training as well before school here. So a lot longer days, but, um, but really enjoyable. Excellent stuff, Daniel. That's a very privileged year eight, year nine group that you've got there. Uh, we wish you all the very best this season in the NPL. We'll be seeing a lot of you, of course, uh, one of the staples of Campbelltown. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see how it all goes. Great to check in with you again. Uh, always fantastically well-spoken, mate. And uh, we wish you all the best with everything on and off the pitch in 2021. Uh, thanks. Thanks for having me. No worries. Thanks for watching, guys.